Barbie the movie is all the rage. You probably already know the basic plot. Barbie, the most popular of all the Barbies in Barbie land, begins experiencing an existential crisis. She must travel to the human world in order to understand herself and discover her true purpose. Politically, this rings true with the dilemma of Earth One versus Earth Two. One is based in fact, while Earth Two is this alternate world of disinformation and conspiracy theories. Hey, everybody, welcome to First Online with Friends. There's no place like art. I'm your podcast host, Fran McGarry, here to talk about the existential crisis we face as a democratic nation. My guest today, Clara Francesca, artist, educator, and speech coach. And she's here to share her spin on how the arts can shed some light on some of these issues. Welcome, Clara. Thank you so much, friend. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here and talking with you. I can't wait to get this party started. Now, the movie acknowledges Barbie's unrealistic physical proportions and the kinds of very real body issues that they can cause in young girls, while also celebrating her role as a feminist icon. Now, you address this issue in your film project, You Are Beautiful, B-U-T-I-F-L, and it's a combination of performance art with state-of-the-art multimedia installation that's quote-unquote directed <laughs> by OpenAI ChatGPT that represents our collective consciousness. That thought alone, I, I got to think twice about. And you wrote about how the audience is on a journey with you to explore questions about beauty and ugliness from an interactive and also very playful point of view. What metrics determine beauty? That was one of the questions you asked. And how does data collection output beauty standards onto the general public collective consciousness? Yeah, I, I love how you've tied that into the archetype of Western Barbie lens beauty as well. I think it's really important. I love about your work, especially, is that we're looking at art as a way to open up hearts. And one conversation that I'm very passionate about is we all come with biases. We all come with oppressive thoughts that might have indoctrinated how we think. And then what's the, you know, that's the shadow side. So what's the heart side of it? And I think there's a lot of fear at the moment around AI, whether it's children using it for school or the generated images that are propagating certain stereotypes of body images that are harmful. It's interesting. I think my generation, I definitely grew up in the time of talking about body diversity and neurodivergent and diverse conversations. And yet at the same time, a lot of the machines are propagating more stereotypes and more limitations in how we see one another's beauty or bodies or whatever the conversation might be. So that's at a macroscopic level. And I don't propose to have the answers, but the show you are beautiful or you are beautiful or you are butterful, <laughs> it's a kind of 
words with the language that my colleague Ann Witchman and our co-collaborators Brittany Curtinex and Witt Sellers devised with us is looking at these questions and navigating answers and sort of inviting the audience and that's where the interactive play comes in. We invite the audience to look at some of our thesis statements in the piece, enjoy the experience of the piece and then hopefully they walk away with more questions about where their individual responsibility lies with AI and where their collective consciousness relies, responsibility lies. I read a, a quote this week about how art is about trying to see things that other people don't see. Isn't it great? What are some of the things that you see that other people don't see? I would love to live in a world where I can go watch the Barbie movie and I can enjoy it. And I can also acknowledge that Mattel sponsored it. So there are certain things the movie can't say. I would love to know we live in a world where we're like aware of that from Marvel movies and then being able to acknowledge the weaponry in that and also the, the hero-ness in that and the both end of that. So when it comes to the artwork that I'm making with my colleague Anne and our, and our ensemble XRE, the Extended Rally Ensemble, you are beautiful is saying, let's acknowledge that AI exists. It's not going to go away. It's been around for a long time anyway, quite frankly. But let's also be aware of how it's built. And what we discovered is using programs like ChatGPT and then the open source visual image programs is that these programs are built, the majority of the people in that tech space were generally cis, heterosexual, Caucasian men. And so then there's a bias that is put into that data because of that. One goes on to these open source art generated programs, right? You can type in your words and paintings come up that are Van Gogh style or whatever other programs people use. The program that built that is, is built by this demographic. And so what we noticed when we started using these programs, some of them are Wombo, Dream AI, there's a variety of different things. They spit out images of beauty that are what we would consider very, well, I'll let the audience decide what they are, but there's a very specific type of stereotype that comes out. And we typed in the word beautiful and overwhelmingly the images were Asian appearing females with over voluptuous cuppage and buttocks. And that was really interesting. Then when we put in the word ugly, overwhelmingly, this, and we did this research for about seven months, the images that kept coming out repeatedly were overwhelmingly black appearing, African-American appearing men. And that from a data perspective as to Caucasian appearing, her heritage is German, my heritage is Italian Australian, living in New York City, troubled us because if that's what's happening when we're microscopically analyzing that what is it spitting out when people are just sort of having fun with these images and then you know you bring in this idea of of womanhood and feminism and barbie and all of that and what we're putting out into the world it just brought up a lot more questions that were very uncomfortable for us and so then the conversation of well what is beauty why this beauty and why is this program propagating these images? And for me, the thing that I want to bring up, you ask, what do I think I bring to the table as an artist? And I said, I want to live in a world where I can watch a Barbie movie and acknowledge that Mattel might have silenced certain conversations and might have greenlit others and the politics around that and the commercialism around that and then the okayness around that, but also the bias around that. I bring to the table 
well, if the images are being spat out like this, are we as a collective consciousness, are we as a society mindful of how we're using this AI? And are we mindful of what this program is generating when we ask it to make things for us? Oh, gosh. All right. Let's back up a little bit. That was a lot to take in. Okay. So explain to me what you just said. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Don't get it. Three programs in your computers and phones that you can type in words and prompts. And then those programs will spit out paintings, pictures, images. And these programs are being used by kids. They're being used by adults to have fun, to generate, you know, fun little pictures. There was that craze that everyone went through of putting their photos through these filters and coming out with Jedi mask looks. What are some other ones that come to mind? I'm trying to think of uh, a lot of people started putting them on their Instagram and Facebooks, right? These sort of images of like, your face. Are you talking about avatars? Yes, the avatar generated. Yes, okay. but people would put their photos in, and then they would filter other avatar equivalents out. Got it. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Yeah, so these avatars. Okay. So these programs are making these pictures, right? I mean, avatars are just just pictures, and the pictures are coming out with the filter, like I said, that is putting a lens of bias. Yes, yeah, certain demographic of people. When Anne and I looked at the words beauty and elegance and these sort of stereotypes. And then we married it against words like ugly and deformed. The computer could have spat out anything, right? They could have, we could have put the word in beauty and it could have spat out a flower. We could have put the word in ugly and it could have spat out fracking. And yet we put the word beautiful in, we're not, not even human sometimes. And it will definitely when you put beautiful human in, it spits us out. But when we put the word beautiful in, it spat out pictures, images, of appearing Asian appearing females overwhelmingly wow. and then when we put in the word ugly like I said it would it, it's found out images of male appearing folk from the African continent and that really disturbed us we're looking at these programs that are that exist that people should use and have a good time with but then the question we're asking the audience is are we aware a of what we, the viewer, perceive when this stuff gets sent to us? And B, can we live in a world where we can acknowledge why that bias might be there? Because our thesis is the makers of these programs being overwhelmingly cisgendered white men. And there's no, there's no issue with that, but because of that, that comes with a cultural bias of certain archetypes. And at the end of the day, we're talking about images of people. I don't think, African-American men are ugly at all. It was horrifying for me to type in the word ugly human and have the data spit that out. The thing could have sped out any image it wanted and that's what it did. And I'm listening to you and I'm thinking when Ken discovers the real world is all patriarchy, right? <laughs> There's a parallel here. What image is being perpetuated in one world that is not in the other? Yeah. One of the things that triggered for me in the Barbie movie, I, I wept at the end, and I don't want to give a spoiler for my audience here, but I wept at the end because as a woman growing up in the 60s and 70s and in a traditional Italian Catholic home, girls, you know, you get a trade. 
you know, be a hairdresser. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I never felt like that I fit in. That I somehow, some way inside of me, I knew I had a bigger dream. And, and I was going to go after it. Fortunately, through the support of friends, I was told I was smart and that I could do these things. I had no role models. I mean, growing up when I read Betty Friedan, I'm like, okay, feminine mystique. This is where I want to go. In your age group, role models and what gets spit out, you know, for you and your generation. Yeah, well, keeping in the theme with Barbie, I think Greta Gerwig and her team and allies is a great role model for that conversation, for sure. A colleague of mine, Patrice Miller, who's a dancing choreographer, I think does really great work promoting a lot of local feminist artists and, and egalitarian artists based in New York City as well. But in the age of the internet, for my age group, and people consuming data in their social media bubbles, and because the algorithm does have an artificial intelligence to it. It is, it is keeping people in their bubble groups for what they're consuming on their social media platform. It makes it hard, I think, to stay actively engaged as an individual with how to read the media that one is consuming. And that's what's really interesting to me, because whilst my age group might have access to the Internet and Googling role models and activists and others, but I feel you for different generation spaces and country spaces, but I feel you. I really love that. But, you know, we can go to our thing and Google this information, but that doesn't mean necessarily that we're critically connecting or reflecting consciously with what is being sent our way. I am headed to this Austrian festival as Electronica, which is a high-tech festival. I'm very lucky to do that. I've just come from a very non-tech, no access to Wi-Fi for three weeks, doing community theater work with these incredible artists that are brilliant professional artists. But in that space, you know, I was talking to community folk and they were sharing about certain stresses that younger people even have and you know I don't want to create content triggers on your on your space but you know the stress that maybe a 14 year old feels about connecting to this world and not knowing how to apply for a job or the stress of that and then people resorting to harming themselves or other things that might go on so I I guess I have compassion that different generations might have different tension points to how they consume but then also how do we intergenerationally connect with each other to reflect about how this stuff might be able to help and heal. So I know I'm talking at length, but AI, a lot of parents I hear get scared for AI, right? My kids are going to plagiarize or they're going to go down a deep, dark rabbit hole of bad information. And that might and could be true. Then young folk are saying, no, this is cool. This is fun. I have a, an affinity for it. I know how to work this stuff. It's really interesting. And then the conversation is, well, let's be able to talk together about this stuff. So something that Anne and I talk about a lot is AI, I think, can be brilliant with medical health. Now, I'm not an expert in medical health AI, but what I'm reading is it can fast track a lot of programming and digital robot machining. 
an analysis statistic. Now that doesn't take away the human. We deal, we still need that critical thinking and processing, but it then allows the medical professional more time to have interpatient empathetic care or gather better resources of the history for the data points that you might not get in a blood work, for example. And theory, I think, should make even more empathetic doctors come out of the situation if they're using with the AI. As an artist, right? The AI image programs can be very helpful. You can type in these buzzwords and see what it spits out and it might give you inspiration for another idea you might not have had. So that's where it could be an ally. But if we're using AI to take away employment from people or, you know, checkout services is a form of AI, quite frankly, and that took a lot of jobs away from people who were working in retail uh, or, or retail or grocery service or, you know, your fast checkout thing. And that's good on some level that that program exists. It's a faster way to, to consume and buy products. But then what are we doing as a society for those folks who don't have that job? Are we helping them get training in another employment? Like, why can't we have that conversation is what I think I'm really passionate and about. You bring up a couple of important points, Clara. One of them is the paradox of the invention. There's a great speech in Inherit the Wind where the lawyer drumming, we, we get rid of the horse and buggy, but then we get a car with each invention, with each new technological advance. You know, we have the EV cars that are now doing self-driving and all of that. The paradox is that we need to not be afraid of it, but to secure ourselves in the knowledge of what it can provide for us. And that's what you're doing. Your other important point was the connection between actually using AI in performance. Can you explain to me what is the technology in actually producing that show? Yeah, so we're, we're gonna get into the weeds of it now. So listener content, uh, let's deep dive. There's a lot that we can do, and there's a lot that I still want to learn how to do. So I'm not the expert on AI performance art. But what we do for this show that's coming up, we're about a full. The audience walks into a space, and it's a space that has been dressed up to create a sense of power dynamic tension. We did a sampling of it in New York City a few months back at Parlo 153, which was really, really wonderful to test it out. And the space was created, it was almost authoritarian. It reminded people of Nazism, fascism, folks who'd come from uh, countries in South America, tensions that are more recent. You know, it brought up a lot of very real pain points of authority control. And we're not doing that to traumatize people, but we're doing that to create a sense of this is a world where the rules are set and we're closed in, whether it's World War II, World War One, or more recent. But the Republican debates. <laughs> the Republican debates. Yep. All of it. <laughs> and so Anne and I are dressed up as, as army officers, essentially. And that is the first paradox, because it was great to get this feedback in the sampling People had both a resistance to our authority and also this romanticism of someone in an appearing World War One uniform, right? The sexiness of the uniform, the you know, the woman's sort of femininity, the softness, and yet the firm. It's really interesting how stereotypes and biases play into our subconscious. So then they get put through a room where we have this big sister analogous to a big brother 
kind of the evil eye, the, the you know, the one not the evil eye, sorry, the watching eye of, of the government telling you what to do. And the first thing you're told to do is to put on a mask to cover your face because now your identity is being stripped from you. And it goes into symmetry and some science stuff that we can geek out about in a bit. But it goes into this idea of symmetry and aestheticism and beauty. Then at that point, the audience starts to engage with journal articles that we've written uh, that ask questions about some of these things we brought up earlier in conversation. And then the audience, with this robot speaking at them, get to engage on computers and type in some of these words and prompts that we want them to think about and see the images that are generated back at them. So we're using a program called Dream AI which is a, it's an image generated based program. And we're also using avatar based programming that our colleague Whitney has designed. And wow. then we're also using, it's a body sensor particle uh, geo response program where the, the audience stands in front of a webcam essentially. And our colleague Wit has developed these particles that as the human body moves, it picks up the sense of the heat, uh, the, the heat sensoring oh. that. So it's, it's the fusing of these three things. I'm not doing a great job explaining all the technical elements. <laughs> but that's, I'm actually, that's I'm following you here. Yeah. Where did this interest come from? You're an artist, but you're also this brilliant tech person. And talking with you, it's like, I want to learn about this. I appreciate that. I will be humble and say I'm definitely not a brilliant tech person, but I get to work with brilliant tech people and they've taught me and I get to incorporate that. I'm very grateful. So one thing I have been able to do in the last year is work at MOMI, the Museum for the Moving Image. And I have been teaching the youth and then teenagers how to use some of this programming and stuff to make socially aware artwork. In fact, a month ago, I was doing a program for virtual reality, augmented reality and artificial intelligence fusion artwork and so I got to teach them some of this program that Wit used for example is called Unity Hub and at the core of it is really very simple it's computational thinking right so you say well if I need to get this robot to talk to this part of the robot to talk to this part of the robot how do I string that communication along it's speech coaching 101 it's computational thinking it's you know it's all those great core things we learn in, in primary school and so watching Wit work to say well I want this piece of the computer to talk to this part of the camera that's going to be at this distance from the camera to the person standing in front of the camera so you type in those metrics and then and then you plug that into the program and it then you synthesize you export it and it it reads that data so i got to teach the children how to think about these step by step elements to then design something in these programs. But the cool thing is now, a lot of these programs are open source. So you don't need to be a tech whiz to use a lot of them and then build a lot of this artwork. What are some of the outcomes of working with, yes. with the kids? What were some of the outcomes? Yeah, so there's this free platform that your listeners can engage with if they want called Experiments with Google. And it's majority artificial intelligence, some augmented reality programs as well. They're just little typing Google experiments with Google. So I use that with some of these teenagers. And one program that I really liked was co-developed with Bill T. Jones, a fabulous dancer, right? Now we're bringing back the theatrical dance elements with the with the tech. And something that he and his company developed were body sensor movement AI 
experiences. So you as the consumer would type into experiments with Google's Bill T. Jones's experiment. And then you would see it's a, it's a webcam, essentially the webcam follows your body parts and you can select manually like a video game selecting source. Do I want the video cam to follow the tip of my nose? Or do I want the video cam to follow where my hand meets my wrist, essentially? And then you step back from the camera with the programming of where it's going to meet you and you dance. So the idea was that they were looking at how this movement can be captured in a video cam. And then they connected it to what many people are familiar with, Google Voice or audio voice recognition. So as I'm now moving and the movement is tracing on my nose or on my wrists, the words that I'm are being spat out of the wrist or being spat out of the nose. It was a great program. It's a lot of fun. So I got the teenagers to use this built-in experiment with Google application to write poetry and to write poetry that had a meaning for them about a social conversation they wanted to have. And these students at MOMI that did it at the end of last year were really interested in talking to their audience about the anti-cancel culture conversation. So how do we promote a world where we really allow people to express themselves and if they need to be called in or if they're doing something that really is egregious, how do we help teach them why it's problematic rather than immediately shut them down? I wanted to cry, these jeans were amazing. So they came up with an experience, a performance art experience, where they had the audience walk into Mommy. They had the audience, we had a few iterations. So the iteration that's coming to mind is they had the audience draw an image of what they felt cancel anti-culture, anti-cancel culture is about. And then they took them into another room where this program was set up and they wrote out three line poems, really simple poems. We looked at haikus. We looked at, you know, various different poetry forms. And then once the audience member had a poem that they written that was, you know, three lines sort of to keep it nice and simple, they were invited to speak the poem to the audio camera, select either their nose or their wrists and move their body which creates a really beautiful somatic experience that's moving through your body and you, as you flow to then heal the world or whatever one might want to, you know, whatever meaning one wants to. It is literally poetry in motion. Perfectly said. Yes. And you bring out another important point, Clara, and that is you treat these young people as equal artists. They're not Always. some kid. They're not something to just blow away. And that's something near and dear, you know, to my work, I was a teacher for 30 years and I knew and believed in the capacity of our young generation. You know, you said socially aware artwork. Where is some of the indicators for you that your work is having an impact? I was humbled to not only have taught this class with the Momi students, but to then get a phone call from my boss there two months later saying that the students wanted me back to help them build what we had there worked on. And there you go. And that's where we can wrap this up. It's all about building. It's all about opening conversation. And it's all about art, trying to see things that other people don't see. Thank you so much, Clara, for sharing your time and talent with me. See you soon. Thank you.
find out more about what Fran is up to, go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at We Chief Studio Productions. <laughs>